Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hello, Melissa. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I am doing pretty good. We're about to have a three-day weekend, which is always exciting. Yes, definitely. How about you? Anything new with you? I am currently in Boise, Idaho, visiting my family, so I'm podcasting somewhere. It'd be fun to see how many places I've podcasted. You are all over the place. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. But yeah, I've got, I'm seeing my grandparents for the first time in over a year. Um, the weather was horrible when I got here. It was typical like Boise spring weather, just like really nasty and felt like Washington. So I was kind of bummed about that. But today is beautiful and it's supposed to be nice the rest of the time I'm here. And yeah, so just enjoying being home. Yay. That's so exciting. Yeah. Cool. Well, I guess we can just hop right into today's episode, um, which I think will be a really helpful one. Uh, We're going to talk about what makes a good subscriber. This generally, I would say just hearing that if I was a sender, I would be like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah, all subscribers are good subscribers, but (laughs) it can get pretty deep, which I've recently thought about this differently. I'm listening to other experts in the industry talk about this, and I just I find it super interesting and fascinating as far as like marketing goes, just to really think about this. You have some awesome examples that I'm excited to talk about. Oh, thanks. I was going to say you have some awesome examples of some bad uh, subscribers. I promise I'm not a negative person, but (laughs) I seem to gravitate to the bad things when it comes to deliverability, but I think I like it because it kind of like, it's exciting. (laughs) No, I understand. And I think it actually is just like more helpful to know what not to do sometimes than what to do, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Definitely. Yeah. So um, something that reminded me of this podcast episode that we're going to do today is actually a tweet I just saw the other day. And Mm -hmm. as I saw it, I was like, I should save this for the podcast. And guess what? I didn't do that. But I can explain the general idea of what the tweet said. And the tweet was from someone who has an email list with 10,000 subscribers. Um, They have a newsletter. And they have paid ads in their newsletter. And someone who had purchased a paid ad in their newsletter reached out to them and said, oh my goodness, we got way more business from your newsletter than we did from a newsletter with 100,000 subscribers that we recently paid to be in. And I've seen a lot of things like that, um, especially in my Twitter feed. I follow a lot of different ConvertKit customers and creators And a lot of them like to post their um, kind of milestones. So, you know, they're like, I just reached 30,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. And in that screenshot, you always see the open rate. And it's typically like 50% or sometimes crazy, really high open rates. I think James Clear did this recently. He's a ConvertKit user. And if you click on the tweet, there's so many replies that are like, that open rate, that open rate. How do you get that open rate? It's insane. And they always respond and say, I clean my list. I clean my list. Like Mm -hmm. they focus on having high quality subscribers. They don't want just any email address. Right. Because you can find so many email addresses and you can make your list as big as you want it to be. But 
that isn't going to reap the best results. So that's really what today's episode is all about is how do you build your email list with really high quality subscribers that will actually engage and convert instead of just trying to have the largest list that you possibly can. I think it's hard for me sometimes to talk about this because I'm not, uh, I don't have my own like side hustle right now and I'm not a sender, but it's the one point that I feel like I have seen time and time again, be proven true, just looking at accounts Mm -hmm. and working as much in customer accounts as I do cleaning. Like I've always said, cleaning, like list cleaning is my favorite deliverability tip to give people because it can be kind of underrated if you don't know how beneficial it can be for you. And in general, just watching people with really like senders with really high engagement, um, you can sell products now with ConvertKit. And sometimes we'll go in and see like product sales with a list that's a lot smaller than what you would expect, but they do so well with their product sales because they have such an engaged list. And I've always been really interested in marketing. We've talked about this before with like shopping and stuff. And I really enjoy learning like just about consumer behavior in general. And so this whole topic is so interesting because it definitely rides the line of um, like marketing tactics and also subscriber quality, which I'm really interested in. So I, I don't know. I just think that that example you gave is so important because the proof is in the pudding kind of, and that is, you can't really argue with the data there. Like it's just incredible. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. And I hope that helps if anyone's listening and you have what maybe you would consider a smaller list. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully you can find some comfort in that. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're not successful Mm -hmm. or that you have a lower potential than someone with a huge list. Like you actually, if your small list is really engaged, you might have more potential than someone with a really large, but never cleaned, really stale list. Absolutely. Cool. Well, let's jump right in. So I think you have a great list of kind of like the bad when it comes to um, what not to do. So maybe we should hop right into that. Okay. So let's talk about, um, let me see, let me look at my notes for a second. Okay. One thing that I wanted to highlight, um, was when a subscriber signs up to your list, they are trusting you with an email address. Um, and I can say from personal experience that there is an email address that I give to people when I don't really want to receive emails, but I feel pressured into giving an email. And there is an email, my personal email that I give when I feel like I trust them and I want to genuinely receive their content. And I think this is pretty common with a lot of subscribers. I think people, they don't want to have junk in their inbox. They don't want to have more to uh, sift through and find the important things. So just going in with that mindset, I think is really helpful. Um, And thinking about, I think if I had a dollar for every time we said it, I would be a very rich person. But (laughs) there's someone on the end of that email address. There is a real person on the other side. And if you can look at it through that lens, I think it's a little bit easier to understand all of the metrics in your in your account when you're looking at your sending. So just remember that someone's feeling comfortable and trusting you with an address. So make sure you're providing content that they genuinely want and that you're having them sign up in a way that doesn't feel like they're being forced to do so. Because undeliverable and invalid addresses can be pretty uh, detrimental to a sender's reputation. 
So Alyssa's given the example before about going to a coffee shop and someone wanting to use, you know, the, the Wi-Fi and they ask you for your email address. And I can't imagine what kind of engagement that list must have and what kind of invalid and undeliverable addresses exist on that list. Um, and if they continued somehow to send to those addresses, they probably wouldn't do very well. So that's one that I think is important to kind of highlight. And also addresses that are active can become invalid at some point. So it's important to clean your list because you can't just look at an email and say, well, this is a legitimate address. Like it's Melissa at yahoo.com. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's probably a real address, but it could be invalid. And there's no way of telling, um, because, you know, unless your message bounces and you're paying attention to those kinds of metrics, like you don't want to continue to send to an undeliverable address. The next one is disposable domains. Alyssa, do you want to kind of talk through that a little bit? Yeah, this is another one that's pretty much, it's hard or impossible depending Mm -hmm. on how savvy you are to just like spot these with your eye. They, you know, they look like real addresses, but there are um, domains out there that are, they're called disposable domains. And essentially um, those are kind of services where you can like create an email address that is not going to do anything. It's just disposable. It's like a throwaway email address. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of people will have these to sign up for things like, you know, when you go to the checkout counter of a store and they ask you for an email address or make you give an email address or something like that. Um, Or, you know, that Wi-Fi example is a great one. I actually gave like a disposable throwaway address like last week at an airport. So those are not uh, good subscribers. They're not Mm going to be engaged subscribers. That's someone sitting on your list that's going to add absolutely zero value to your list. Mm -hmm. The next one is something that I learned, not really learned, but it it started making me think about more recently. And this is um, role accounts. So if you have a, let's just say like if you have a bunch of, um, you know, john at business.com, you know, Melissa at business.com, Alyssa at business.com. They're all the same. I think people get confused about how that works. Like it's the same domain. And even though it's different inboxes for those people's personal emails, like as far as like the company goes, like Alyssa and I both have ConvertKit emails. We both have separate inboxes, but that domain is the same. I think it's important to just like understand how that works as far as uh, a good address goes, because those domain addresses can sometimes have really strict filters. Um, we use the the .edu and what else, like .gov example a lot. Um, those domain addresses have really strict filtering and it might not be the best kind of email to have for someone who's interested in receiving your content. It might be better to maybe reach out to them and ask if they have a personal email they'd like to add instead. They're just not always going to see your emails based on the kind of filtering that's involved because those are supposed to be emails related to their their work, their business and not necessarily promotional emails. Yeah, and most so typically like a role-based address is going to be like info at, hello at, sales at. So those are definitely something to keep an eye on. I think um this will really depend on your audience and which role-based addresses you're hitting. For example, if your list has addresses like abuse at, or I think sales at is a good example, um, or info at can be, you know, 
a little bit in between. Mm -hmm. It just kind of depends on your list. So we definitely have some creators who have a lot of like entrepreneurs on their list who might use, you know, hello at their name.com, for example. And that's not necessarily a bad role address because it actually is like the person's personal address. But anything that's like uh, a group and it's probably going to go to multiple people and it's like an alias, that shouldn't really be on your list Mm -hmm. because not a lot of people are signing up for email lists under marketing at so-and-so.com. Those are typically found online if someone has scraped a list or is using some sort of public list. So those are not going to be good addresses for you to have on your list. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, once you send to that role address, it's going to be then like forwarded to multiple people who belong to that alias. And if one of those people unsubscribes, that whole address is unsubscribed. So it's just a whole mess. Um, So I would not send any like alias addresses Mm -hmm. or role-based addresses unless it is that weird edge case of a like hello at address. And it really does belong to one person. And that's just the email address that they use. And kind of going back to the fact that it, it, there might be different situations where something like that will work, but it's not, I think the people who are on the other end of that, like if, you know, it is info at whatever their business is, they might not be looking for promotional emails necessarily in that inbox. And I think that's something that we've talked about before. Like maybe their personal email would be a better spot to, and like you said, sometimes that can be their personal email, but um, in certain situations, their personal email might be where they're looking for um, the content you're sending or like the promotions you're sending. And it's just the quality of that email address isn't matching up with like your goal or like your call to action um, for that person when they're in that that particular email um, account. They're probably doing other things related to their business. Yeah, exactly. And I think you kind of touched on this earlier, but when talking about like business addresses versus personal addresses, this is when we talk to people who email a lot of teachers about, Mm. because that is, you know, a whole industry of people who are giving resources to teachers, blogging about teaching, and the teachers when they sign up for their list tend to give their school addresses, which like you mentioned, is really tough to Mm -hmm. reach the inbox of those sorts of addresses because the school's IT team is just worried about keeping teachers and students safe. So they're going to block a lot of email that's external to their own servers. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who is serving an audience that has addresses like that, like teachers or government employees or a lot of businesses, then I highly recommend, like you said, Melissa, um, ask for their personal address if Mm -hmm. possible. Get all those people's Gmail addresses or Yahoo addresses, and you're going to have a much better time getting to their inbox. Right. Cool. Uh, Next one. Oh, this is a fun one. We have a whole episode on this, but yeah, <laughs> spam traps. Um, so typically those are deliverable email addresses. By the way that they work, they're not really supposed to open emails, but it can happen every now and then. Um, but a spam trap essentially is an email address that doesn't actually belong to a human, but is instead being used to catch bad senders. You can listen to our whole episode on this for more detail, but a brief overview is that there are three kinds of spam traps. The most serious kind is a pristine trap. And those are emails that have never signed up for email marketing. They've never been used to purchase anything, but instead they are just, they were added to like a website 
or a purchased list. So if anyone Mm -hmm. sends an email to a pristine spam trap, you know that the email address was collected in a non-permission-based way. It was either scraped, it was purchased, or something like that. There are typo traps. Um, Those are really commonly typoed email addresses um, that don't actually belong to people. For example, such as like gnail.com. You you hate to see it and you see it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Obviously, that's not as serious of an offense. Like that's going to happen every now and then. But if someone has a lot of typoed Mm -hmm. email addresses, it just shows a lack of care and attention to the way they're collecting their list and keeping Mm -hmm. it clean. And then recycled traps are email addresses that maybe used to be valid, but haven't been in a really long time. For example, I used to have an old AOL address and I abandoned it so long ago. I think I completely shut it down. So it probably bounced for a long time if anyone emailed it. And there's a chance that now AOL is going to use that address as a spam trap. So anyone who keeps emailing that address is going to be kind of dinged as Mm -hmm. potentially a bad sender because AOL is like, this address has not been valid for years and you keep sending to it. So like you're not doing a very good job of keeping your list clean. I really like that example because I think it's one a lot of senders don't know happens. Yeah. I just saw my grandma tried to send me an email and I was like, why did she send it to you? And she used the AOL address. I'm like, grandma, you got to get it together. That's so funny. (laughs) It's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And I heard a good example about this. um, And it was basically like, obviously, you know, like you said, it was probably years um, that you haven't used it. So like, I'm not sure. I don't know the frequency. Like you'd have to be depending on the list, but someone used the example of what if you don't clean your list and you're getting close to Christmas and you're starting to market for, you know, the holidays or whatever, And then you have a bunch of emails turn into spam traps Um, right when the holiday marketing frenzy hits. That's going to be very problematic for you during the busiest time of the year, typically. So cleaning your list, not just right before you send out your your first holiday campaign, but doing it consistently so that you don't have to run into a problem like that and you are preventing those. Because that's always what we say we want to do. We want to prevent deliverability issues we always can help, you know, try and fix them once they've happened, but it's so much easier to avoid them altogether. Yes. And I love that example because it happens a lot that there mm-hmm. are people who just don't um, really send many emails, but whenever the holidays come around, they want to go hard on the promotions yep. and they don't take all of this into account and it goes really, really poorly for them. Mm-hmm. So that's a very good example of a time that someone might have a lot of spam traps and just a lot of other issues in general. Exactly. And um, I just kind of left this note here too, but I was going to kind of go into just like bad address collection, which we've kind of touched on. But one thing I have seen people reach out about before is I bought a business and it came with this email list, which um, Alyssa, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's that's an okay thing to have happen as long as you are still continuing to send people content related to what the business was in which they signed up initially. So if you, you know, were to take over a business about dog food and you start sending them things about plants, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah. They might not appreciate that. So just, you know, keep that in mind. And also, uh, depending on how old the list is, that can also be problematic. You'll want to clean your list if it's just been sitting there forever and they, no one has been emailed anything. So that's one thing that I wanted to highlight was just like, bad address collection can lead to 
poor quality subscribers. And then we kind of just talked about the spam trap thing, but good addresses can go bad. They will not always stay good forever. Yep. So true. So that's why it's so important to clean your list. Look at what's happening. Don't just let addresses sit there forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. We've definitely had, you know, plenty of customers who have made that mistake and their, their open rates inevitably start to drop and then they have to go and start to clean their list. And by that time, Mm -hmm. if you just let people sit and you never clean it, I mean, potentially I am working with someone in particular I'm thinking of right now that has almost a million um, subscribers who have not opened a message in the last six months. And now they're having to work on cleaning that. And that's so painful. Um, I'm obviously helping them do it in a way that won't hurt their reputation. And that's maybe a little less painful for them, but it's still painful. Right. So it's always easier to just stay on top of Mm -hmm. that sort of thing and don't let it pile up. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I just quickly listed like mistakes. Just don't do these things or just keep these things in mind. But um, so inheriting an old list, whether that's, I mean, you should do it the right way, not just like someone passing off addresses to you and saying, here, email these people. The older the list, the more difficult it could be to re-engage those people. Bounce management problems can cause long-term negative effects on your account. So if you're using an ESP, you most likely, like a reputable one, you most likely have someone or the platform, you know, working on that bounce management for you. So it's not really something you have to worry about. Routine list hygiene. If you're not doing that, it's going to cause, again, long-term issues. This is another one. People sometimes actually forget why they signed up to your list if they don't hear from you for a long time. And then we've talked about this in a previous episode. They will, maybe they'll complain or they'll just continue to not open your messages because they don't remember why they signed up in the first place. And then my bottom line is email addresses uh, that are undeliverable are worthless and costing you money. And bad addresses that are just like spam traps are even worse. Don't waste your time, I guess, on... (laughs) email addresses that are not doing anything for you. I think it's a really hard concept for people to wrap their minds around sometimes because we we really do like we want a larger list. We want to focus on the numbers. Like Instagram has always been about like followers and Twitter is about followers. And it's so hard in email to like take that and put it aside and focus on something else. And I think it's totally fine on those other platforms to focus on followers if that's what makes sense for your audience. And if that's like making sense for your business. But when it comes to email, we don't see more equaling better. And that's really like, if I could just tell every customer we have, like, think about this and like really put it into practice. I think people would see a huge change in their engagement. Mm -hmm. I love that. I wish I could just bottle up that advice (laughs) and like send it to everyone because it was so perfect. Oh, it's so true. Thanks. So you might be wondering like, well, okay, well, what is a good subscriber? You've listed all of these things that make someone not a good subscriber. I hate using the word bad, but um, obviously we aren't talking about the person behind the email address. We're just talking about the kind of quality they bring to your list. Yeah, maybe we should clarify um, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not saying anyone's a bad People person. People aren't bad, yeah. Um, but in this case, you know, bad for your list. So what makes someone a good subscriber? Um, there are some questions you can ask yourself And some of these things aren't necessary, but they're helpful. So first of all, did they join your email list on their own accord? So they 
themselves signed up to be on your email list. That's a great thing. That's something that needs to happen. (laughs) I'm wondering if I should say this. Uh Uh-oh. It's related to my family. Uh Uh-oh. Do they listen to the podcast? I don't know. (laughs) I know of an instance where someone I know has a business and they added someone in my family's address to their email list without permission. Uh Uh-oh. And it's like, it's not a big deal, but just as a very like easy example, that person's email that was added is now getting those emails and they are going straight to the spam folder. So I just thought I would share that as a personal (laughs) note. I know it happens for real. Oh, it happens. It happens. And that's, you know, obviously like a smaller scale potentially. I think a lot of people do that. Like they add their entire address book Mm -hmm. to their email list. They add all their LinkedIn connections. That's a terrible one. We see a lot actually. Yeah. Yeah. And we're always like, nope, can't do it because just because one knows you because one's related to you or because they connected with you on LinkedIn does not mean they want to be on your email list. And like we're (laughs) saying in this episode, you need a high quality subscriber. You don't just need a person to be on your email list. You need someone who wants to be there so that they will actually take action and be a good subscriber. So that's the first step. Make sure every single person on your email list signed up to be there on their own Accord, you know, no one forced them to be there. It wasn't any sort of trick. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, did they sign up to receive your emails or was there some other incentive involved? Mm -hmm. And not all incentives are bad, but I think you can break them down into kind of two categories, like a good versus bad. A good incentive, which we talk about a lot at ConvertKit is like, for example, offering a PDF download. Maybe if you are a food blogger. I currently am being vegetarian for the first time ever and it's going, I'm going strong, but it means I've been going to a lot of vegetarian food blogs, which Mm -hmm. is fun. And you know, if one of those popped up, which actually this did happen, I don't usually sign up for a lot of incentives, but I was on a vegetarian food blog, popped up and said, enter your email to get a download of 30 quick, easy vegetarian meal plans, which is exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know what to cook for dinner. Right. So it was perfect. I signed up, um, put in my email address and I'm on their email list. That was an incentive that did get me to give them their email address, but the emails I'm going to receive from them are going to be along those lines. They already have been. It's like recipes, vegetarian recipes, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not like there was that incentive and now they're emailing me about used cars. Mm -hmm. So One incentive we've talked about a lot that's a bad incentive, for example, is some sort of like contest or giveaway. Um, Because then in that case, someone, the incentive to sign up for your list was not the kind of content you're delivering, had nothing to do with you. It had to do with getting a free thing. So make sure the incentive you're using is in line with the actual content you're going to deliver with every single email you send. So it's just that kind of another way of like packaging your value in a quick, you know, like incentive-based way, like a PDF or a download. That's Mm -hmm. wonderful. But it shouldn't be anything that's just like not aligned with the sort of emails they're going to be getting from you. And I think that's like when I said in the beginning of this episode that I like this conversation because it like puts the marketing tactical side and the like deliverability side together. And it's, Mm -hmm. I think that is, um, when you mentioned like James clear, it's not just because they clean that list and because, you know, it's a healthy clean list. It's because he provides 
extreme value to people. And I think the value is kind of, I don't know if I always love that word, but it's like content that people genuinely get something out of and it helps right. them better their life or their, you know, whatever that is. And it's tough because you can't just always tell someone like, well, your content sucks. I mean, you know, and I would never say that to anybody. Yeah. And that, that's not always the case with um, low open rates. So I'm not saying that that's right <laughs> for everybody, but it's just something to think about. Um, we talk a lot about, or we have talked a lot before about finding out what your audience is interested in and, um, you know, making sure that there's not any untapped areas that you could be pursuing and you might not even know about. I think the danger in email marketing is assuming you know your audience. And that kind of intersects with making sure that you're providing value to your subscribers and that they genuinely want to receive the information that they're getting. Because ultimately, even if they're engaged, sometimes people start to lose interest or, you know, whatever it may be. But I think it's just something to like reiterate all the time that like, it is important to make sure that people are wanting to receive the emails that you're sending. And in your case, Alyssa, like maybe you had never signed up for a vegetarian website, you know, food blogger before, and here you are with a new interest. And now they have this whole new person on their list that they probably were hoping eventually you'd find them. So I just think it's like an interesting tidbit to talk about because it is important to make sure that you are providing value. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because that brings up such an interesting point that I don't think we plan to cover, which is like someone can come to you as a very engaged, high value subscriber, but if you don't deliver to them what they need from you, they can turn into a low value subscriber. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't based on anything necessarily that they did around like their email address is invalid Mm -hmm. now or something like that. But it can just be that the content they thought they would be getting isn't there or, you know, there's not the value delivered that they thought would be. And I was trying to think of an example of when I've experienced this. And I do think I have one, obviously I'm not going to put them on blast, but similarly, there's like a cleaning blog. It's not the one we've talked about all the time, but it's another good one. Don't say a bad thing about them. Yeah. I know you'll fight for them. I will. Um, (laughs) This is another one that I still love. Like I follow the Instagram. It's great. But I also got on the email list when I first found out about them. I think it was for an incentive. It was like a calendar Mm -hmm. and it breaks down cleaning tasks every day. It's about making cleaning like, Mm -hmm. you know, easy to keep your house clean all the time, which is great. Mm -hmm. The emails that they send though, I definitely have become unengaged because they are using email more of a tool for just pure promotion, like mm. buy this book, buy this book, buy this book, buy this ebook. And I don't want that. Like, it's just not helpful mm-hmm. right now. Maybe I would buy it eventually, but like, I just don't want to get emails constantly that are purely just like, here's what you can buy. Right. If they were sending more content around like, here's the best way to clean your windows or here's the best way to like, whatever, Mm -hmm. clean your grout and your tile that I would open that like the more educational high value content. And you can also plug your book in there. Exactly. And that's talking about James clear and the value he provides. I think his newsletters are so high quality. It's hard. I'm sure to consistently deliver Mm -hmm. that sort of high quality content. Mm -hmm. But if you're, um, 
committed to doing that, your engaged subscribers are just going to become more engaged right. and you're going to have a lot less turnover and a lot less cold subscribers because people are going to stay engaged because you're providing such high value, consistent content. And that I think is a good tip too, because I think a lot of people do spend time brainstorming ways to grow their list. And instead of focusing on the number of people you want to grow to focus on the content and value you're providing to them. And I think if you provide such good content and value to subscribers, your list can't not grow. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, I think that that's just, you can't really have one without the other. So So true. Yeah. If you continue to deliver every week and you have 10 subscribers and it's just such good quality and such good life bettering content that they can't not share it with other people, it's inevitable that your list will grow. But I think focusing on just like the numbers takes away from the created creativity and content creation side that like ultimately is going to propel you forward in your business. Yep. That's so good. Um, and that's very related to the next couple um, talking points I had, which are, how do you know if someone's a good subscriber or not? And I think it's good to ask yourself, like, are they, are these people regularly engaging with your messages? And then it is one of those two things where either maybe your open rates are pretty low and you need to clean your list, or you need to reevaluate your content, how often you're emailing people, what are you emailing them about and try and, um, hit on more value for them. And that's a great thing to kind of do like before cleaning your list. Maybe you take a look and you think, okay, my emails have been super promotional. I'm sending it, you know, an email every other day. Maybe you think I want to get a little more educational or provide value in some way. And I want to send one email a week. Try that out. See how your cold subscribers number changes. Are people becoming more engaged? That's great. Maybe it was a mostly content issue, but if it's not helping still, then it's a good time to go ahead and clean your list. But I think those are two different levers you can pull to help. And then this last one is a good way to tell who is like a super fan, highly engaged. Um, And that is, are they referring your emails to their friends? That's a pretty hard thing to measure. I think for a lot of people, if you are a creator pro customer on ConvertKit, you have access to a Sparkloop integration and you can use Sparkloop. It's so cool to have people refer your emails to friends and they get rewards based on how many people they've referred So if you are using that tool, that is such a great way to figure out who are your extremely engaged subscribers because they like your content so much that they are telling their friends about it, which is a huge deal. So I think if that's something you're able to measure, that's a great way to see um, how you're doing and how engaged people are. Yeah, that's a great point. We love the positive engagement. Yes. Metrics. For sure. And as always, asking people to reply to your message And then those who reply, another great tactic. Um, I saw our CEO, Nathan, use this in his last newsletter. He was kind of like pitching an idea of maybe a new newsletter he wants to start. And he said, reply to this email if you'd be interested in that. And he tweeted that he has been getting a ton of replies. So that's great. And that shows him right there. Like these people are really, really engaged. Mm -hmm. So maybe if he wants to send to hyper-engaged people at some point, he knows like, this group here is a great group to have like a smaller group mm-hmm. and exclusive content if I want to. Right. Great example. Cool. I think that's about it. Unless you can think of anything else. I don't think so. 
I think we, we pretty much, I, I enjoy this conversation because it's, I don't know why it's weird how <laughs> there's just like things in deliverability. Like I like deliverability, everything, but there are definitely topics that are like fun to talk about. And this is one of yeah. them. And I'm not sure if anybody else would think that this was fun to talk about or <laughs> listen to. I hope so. Well, you're in the right profession. That's for sure. I like that this can be useful to literally anyone mm-hmm. who sends emails. Um, whether you have five subscribers or five million subscribers, you need to hear this. And that's always really fun. Yes, I agree. Wonderful. Well, I hope everyone has a great week. If you haven't already, please subscribe. But otherwise, we will talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.